You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. in his own words in John's Gospel in chapter 10 and verse 9 said, I am the door, and if anyone enters, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is that door. He's the only way of access to God as well as into heaven. And so as we open the door of our hearts to Jesus, he opens the door of heaven In Revelation chapter 4, the Apostle John describes a door opening in heaven. Now, if you're like anyone else who's read the book of Revelation, you're probably at your limit with metaphors or illusions. So, what exactly is this door? As Pastor Mike will teach you in his message today, this door is none other than Jesus Christ, who is the only door by which we can enter heaven. In his study, you'll learn how this imagery ties to the very words of Christ in which he proclaimed that he is the door. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Throne Room of Heaven. and we'll pick up where we left off last time. We're in the book of Revelation in chapter 4. And we're going to cover this entire chapter. The title is The Throne Room of Heaven. So once again, the title, The Throne Room of Heaven. Okay, so let me set up this message for you. Beginning with chapter 4, we move into what is referred to as the third section or the third division of this book of the Bible. Remember back in chapter 1, if you turn there with me, in verse uh, 19, this is the way that Jesus broke, broke down this book for us. Chapter 1 in verse 19. He says, write these things. He's, he's speaking to John, the recorder of this book. Jesus is sharing this message with him. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So this is the way that Jesus breaks down this book for us. First of all, you have the vision of the glorified Christ, chapter 1, which falls under the heading of, go back to chapter 1 and verse 19, the things which you have seen. Okay, so that's the first section of the book of Revelation. Secondly, then you have the history of the church on earth, pre-written from Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was given to the uh, disciples, the 120 in the upper room, to the rapture of the 
church, which as of yet hasn't taken place, but we're going to talk some about the rapture, in fact, as we treat chapter 4, as seen in the letters to the seven churches. So the second section of this book includes chapters 2 and 3, and it falls under the heading, go back to chapter 1 and verse 19, the things which are. That's the second division of this book of the Bible. And then the future events that will take place after the church has been taken out of the earth via the rapture, and that would include chapters 4 through 22. Under the heading, chapter 1 and verse 19, the things which shall be hereafter. Okay, so with that said, those are the three divisions, sections of this book of the Bible, uh, as broken down by Jesus himself, and thus we are entering into that third section. Now the key word here in this chapter is the word throne. In fact, it's used in chapter 4 no less than 11 times. In fact, in the entire book of Revelation, it's used 37 times. So, Revelation then has been described as the throne book. And the thrones in the scriptures, particularly here in this book of the Bible, speaks of judgment upon the wicked. And a lot of what is recorded for us here in this book of Revelation has to do with the seven years of tribulation, as God pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting uh, world. So that throne that we become aware of here in chapter 4, at least in part, speaks of that impending judgment that is about to break loose upon the face of the earth. It also speaks of God's power, it speaks of God's sovereignty, it speaks of God's authority, and, uh, and also I might want to uh, add that, yes, God has never vacated the throne, even though at times it may seem as if he has. Let me give you a cross-reference here concerning God's throne. In the 103rd Psalm, in verse 19, the Bible tells us that the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. And so, the throne uh, of God. Now, that brings us, that sort of sets up our study, and now it brings us to our first point, and that is the church raptured. So let's get into our uh, text now, and let's begin in verse uh, 1, chapter 4, in verse 1. Now after these things, after what things? After the church age, chapters 2 and 3, the second section of this book, the seven letters written to the seven churches, representing the church uh, age, from Pentecost to the last day's church, just prior to the rapture, okay? After these things, the church age, I look, this is John speaking now, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Okay, so a couple of features concerning verse 1 that I want to draw your attention to. First of all, I want you to notice that the throne room here appears after the rapture of the church. When the present dispensation, that is the church age, as I've mentioned several times already, has ended, and a new dispensation of judgment is about to get, begin. You know, the, the dispensation that we're in right now is the dispensation of God's grace. But that's going to come to an end with the rapture of the church. And then God, as I mentioned before, will begin to pour out his judgment upon a Christ-rejecting uh, world. 
So the church age closes out the dispensation of God's uh, grace. That's ended. And a new dispensation of judgment is about to begin. You know, I also, I guess I should mention that Revelation, at least for the most part, follows a chronological uh, order. And where it doesn't, I'll draw your attention to that as we move on uh, through some of our future studies. Now, what's this door that's depicted for us in verse 1? What's this door that has been opened in heaven all about? Verse 1. Well, the Bible tells us that there's only one door into heaven. And that door is none other than Jesus Christ himself. In fact, Jesus, in his own words, in John's Gospel, in chapter 10, in verse 9, said, I am the door, and if anyone enters, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is that door. He's the only way of access to God, as well as into heaven. And so as we open the door of our hearts to Jesus, he opens the door of heaven to us. Now also, let's go back to verse 1. I believe that that trumpet uh, that is referred to here, pictured here in verse 1, is the trump of God, which in the blowing of that trumpet actually initiates the rapture of the church. And think about this. Certainly John, the beloved apostle, is a fitting representative, a type of all the church caught up to God. Notice the voice says, come up hither. So this is a picture of the believer's blessed hope that is the rapture. Now let me give you a couple of cross-references for this event. For example, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet, notice, the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, so this trumpet that's being depicted for us here in verse 1 initiates the rapture of the church. Now, that word rapture may uh, be foreign to uh, some of you who are tuning in to our service, and you might be asking yourself the question, okay, uh, where is that word found in the uh, Bible? Well, let me break this down uh, for you. The word here, uh, caught up, and as it is being uh, referenged to here in verse uh, 1, and also there in First Thessalonians, can literally be translated, snatched away. And the Greek, it comes from a Greek word, harpazo. And the Latin equivalent of that Greek word, harpazo, the, the verb, is rapio. And from that word rapio, in the Latin, and one of the translations of the Bible is the Latin vulgate, we translate that word rapture. So although the word rapture is not in our King James version of the uh, Bible, nevertheless, it is contained within the Latin Vulgate, uh, one of the uh, more earlier uh, translations of the uh, Bible. Now notice in verse 2, let's uh, uh, take a look at uh, verse 2, and there we are told, immediately I was in the Spirit. So John 
what's being communicated to us here is transported from the earth. Remember, come up hither. And immediately he finds himself in the spirit. So John then is transported from earth to heaven immediately. Now, of course, this is just a part of the rapture experience. And we are told exactly that in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 2, where Paul tells us, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, faster than the speed of light, right? For the trumpet will sound, once again, the reference to the trumpet, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, faster than the speed of light. And so that's exactly what John here, uh, in verse 2, is experiencing. He's transported from the earth to heaven immediately. And so, therefore, we have the church rapture. Now that brings us to our second point, and that is heaven's centerpiece. Okay, so when the church is raptured, what is going to be one of the first things that we are going to be confronted with and take note of? Well, let's go on in our text. Let's read the first part of verse 2 again, but let's include verse 3 as well. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like a emerald. Okay, so what conclusion do we come to here when we're raptured? And finally, we uh, enter into that destination there in heaven. Well, notice the focal point in heaven is the throne. And it seems as if all of the activity in heaven revolves around this throne. And i got to tell you something. I, I absolutely love verses of Scripture like this in the Bible where we're getting a little foretaste, a little glimpse into what heaven is going to be like. It's kind of mind-boggling, right? And it's hard to wrap our heads around, yes, because there's nothing that we can compare it to upon this earth. But I, I just love these little glimpses that God gives us of heaven that's recorded for us in the Bible. Now, so we have the throne. Now, who is it that is sitting upon this throne? Well, in chapter 3, if you remember, in verse 21, in one of our previous studies, Jesus refers to his throne, but also to the throne of his Father. So, whoever it is that's sitting on this throne, there in verse 2, whether it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, none of them are actually named, but all we know is that his appearance, according to verse 3, was like a jasper and sardine stone, which speaks of his brilliance, his glory, his splendor. And if you think about it, then this is probably representative of the entire Godhead. These precious stones, which speak of what the triune God is. And what is the triune God? He is precious. And then notice also there in verse 3, we have this rainbow. Now this is odd. Round about the throne. And it's extremely unusual. If you've ever seen a rainbow, you know, we had the uh, privilege, really. Uh, my wife and I and, my, and some of my kids were actually born there. Uh, Mike was, Bubba was. We actually lived in, on Hawaii, in Hawaii, on Maui, for several years uh, before moving up to Alaska and planting a church up there and then coming back here to, to New York. 
And uh, so rainbows were a pretty common experience there in Hawaii. Uh, but certainly unlike the rainbow that's being depicted for us here in verse uh, 3, because this particular rainbow was round about in a circular fashion around the throne. And this is unusual. Why? Because when we view a rainbow upon the earth, we see only a semicircle. And by the way, a little bit of rainbow trivia. Remember, the rainbow, the sign of the rainbow was given by God to Noah and to pledge that he would no longer uh, destroy the earth by a flood. And so that was the significance of the uh, rainbow, sort of like a covenant between God and us. Now, it's been said, so what's the significance of this rainbow? Round about in a circular motion and fashion around the throne. What's this all about? And what does this signify? Well, it's been said that this rainbow, a complete circle, not broken by the line of the horizon, with all of its beautiful colors, represents another covenant of promise and hope. And this one, the promise, the covenant, has to do with the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, God, in the Word, in several different places, promised that one day the earth would be his sons. That which was lost in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve, through their rebellion and sin, will be reclaimed by Jesus. In fact, as we get into the next chapter, chapter 5, that's exactly what is being depicted for us there. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll talk about that next time. So God promised that one day the earth would be his son's footstool and everything would be in subjection to him. Like, for example, in the 110th Psalm, in verse 1, here's a cross-reference. God the Father speaking to God the Son. And he declares, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so the throne in heaven, it's encircled rainbow, given as a pledge of God's faithfulness to this end. Because remember now, what's, what's, this is a preliminary uh, action. Uh, it's all about what God is about to do. And that is purge the earth and execute judgment making the earth ready for the soon return of Jesus Christ and his reign. But then notice also in verse 4, let's go on now in our text. Around the throne were 24 thrones, or sub-thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders. Now who are these guys? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some possible explanations, but we're not quite sure. But notice the way that they are recommended to us here clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Okay, so now we are introduced to not only the focal point in heaven, which is God's throne, but then the sub-thrones, 24 in all, that are located around God's throne, these sub-thrones. And there's 24 of them, and there are 24 individuals who are sitting upon these sub-thrones. Now, who are these individuals? Well, again, we're not quite sure. It, it's been suggested that they may be faithful representatives of both the Old and the New Testament. For example, uh, it could be the 12 sons of Jacob, representing the Old Testament. It could be 12 prophets, also representing uh, the Old Testament. 
It could be the 12, uh, 12 patriarchs also represented the Old Testament. It could, as far as the New Testament goes, it could be the 12 apostles. You know, who knows exactly who it is. But probably it, it, there are going to be some individuals who were profoundly, widely, powerfully used by God. So it, it's open to speculation. We're not quite sure. But notice the way that they are uh, presented to us here. They are clothed in white raiment. And of course, the color white speaks of their perfect righteousness and their purity. Remember, whoever these guys are, they've been raptured. And thus being raptured, they're now with Jesus. Not only are they with Jesus, they've now become like Jesus. They're totally saved from the possibility of sin. What a day that's going to be. Could you imagine that? When we're actually we're raptured, we're standing before the Lord. Not only are we able to see him, but we become like him. And we also are saved from the possibility of sin. No more tempted by temptation. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this from the scriptures. For example, in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, in verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, and according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let me give you another cross-reference. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 2. Beloved, that's who you are. Now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what a wonderful prospect. What a bright future to look forward to. But let's go back to our text. Notice also they have these golden crowns upon their heads. Notice there in verse 4. What do those crowns represent? Well, I believe that they speak of their royal dignity. You see, they've been washed from their sins how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And thus now they are presented as kings and priests. Aren't we told exactly that? In 1 Peter in chapter 2, in uh, verse uh, 9, we're told that we are a royal priesthood, that we've been saved, and uh, we've been redeemed. And so that's what these uh, golden crowns represent. They've been crowned with the royal authority, which is common to all saints there in heaven. Now, that brings us now to our third point. And if you're taking notes, write this down. And that is the great purge. Let's go back to our text in verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for